From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Um, we are in uh, we are in Genesis 19, and yesterday I talked about how Lot's wife stopped and looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt, and um, how that was a metaphor for how we should never look backwards; we should look forwards all the time. Uh, I'm in, I'm I've been doing these stream of consciousness stuff, and I'm just not sure that really meets everybody's needs as far as the Bible study goes. So I'm gonna really try to focus a little bit more on the actual text that's before us. So today is a text-based uh, talk about Genesis 19. Uh, we left Genesis 19 in verse 29, and let's just go right into Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, all right? So let's just take a look at it. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar. Uh, remember, they were in Zoar because that was the closest place that Lot could get to at his age uh, and still be, um, uh, you know, still get out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, and they settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get to our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. So um, Sodom is destroyed. Um, we see that Lot and his two daughters made it to the land of Zoar, and now they're going to go up into the mountain. You know, I, this whole thing about where was Sodom and Gomorrah, because it actually, it actually got destroyed. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah did. And so... Um, Archaeologists have always wondered where Sodom and Gomorrah is. Uh, and what's interesting is that there was an article in the New York Times. Uh, this was from December 17th, 1995. So this is 25 years ago. Um, is that right? Yeah, 1995, be 25 years ago in the New York Times. And, and back then, the newspaper was uh, had published an article uh, called this. Geologists zero in on Sodom and Lot's wife. And if we just look at what this says, this is a digitized version of an online article. Uh, it says, geologists say that they have pinpointed the probable site of the biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and worked out a theory of why Lot's wife was reported to have ended up as a pillar of salt. The findings by two British geologists working in Canada were printed in the Quarterly Journal of Engineering Geology on Friday. The geologists, Graham Harris and Anthony Beardo, analyzed local soil and rock to conclude that Sodom and Gomorrah were probably located on a Dead Sea Peninsula. And while the rough location of the cities has long been suspected, the authors said that they used the latest geological thinking to trace them to a specific peninsula and work out the reason why they vanished, uh, about 1900 BC. This is an attempt to use modern geological perspectives to look into a very racy story, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and solve a fascinating historical problem, says Peter Stiles of the Journal staff. So I just have to stop here and say, this is the New York Times. And 25 years ago, the New York Times published an article from this engineering journal that talked about uh, potential information regarding where was Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and they talked about how they were destructed and how that was an interesting thing. I don't think 
the New York Times would publish an article like this. I'm not even sure the Journal of Engineering uh, would would publish an article like this today. Uh, I don't think the world looks at trying to validate biblical stories today, um, which is a shame because there's a lot of good stuff that comes out, but this isn't on their radar screen. Today on their radar screen is all about a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but let's continue on. So according to the Old Testament, the cities were destroyed by fire and brimstone in retribution for the sinfulness of their residents. Since Lot was considered a good man, he was warned of God's punishment. However, his wife disobeyed the sole condition of not looking back and was transformed into a pillar of salt. The geologist said that Lot's wife did not appear to turn into a pillar of salt because she dared to look back, but because of the briny nature of the Dead Sea. So in other words, what they're saying is that this isn't, it's not because she looked back, but it's because um, the, you know, this, is, this is the briny Red Sea that she was standing nearby. And um, you know, I'm, it doesn't say really that she, you know, that she became a pillar of salt because she looked, like, looked back. It could be that she stopped, she turned around and looked back when she should have fled. And because of where she was, that's why she turned into a pillar of salt. So... Um, Mr. Harris said by telephone from Canada that the Dead Sea was full of salt flows that might have been throwing up, might have been thrown up by surging water to resemble a female outline. Hence, legend is created out of what we can now be explained as a simple geological phenomenon. Saturated soil and highly flammable bitumen, rather than God's wrath, was apparently behind the demise of the cities, the report said. The area is made up of rock types, which when subjected to a large earthquake will actually liquefy like shaking up a bottle of sauce, uh, Mr. Stiles said. Theirs is a great story, but if, as they suggest, the whole city was destroyed and collapsed into the sea, I don't know how much of it would be left to dig up. So maybe he was in the area trying to figure out how to uh, find the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he wasn't able to do it. Uh, and he said, you know, even if we could find the city, it's in the middle of a salt brine in the middle of the Dead Sea and nobody's going to be able to find it, which is interesting. Now, I did look up. I was curious by that because like where is, uh, where are Sodom and Gomorrah and how does that fit in? And I actually found an image. Um, this is an image of the, the salt sea, the Dead Sea. Uh, this is from geography.biblehistory.com. You have the Canaanites, you have Bethlehem, you have Jerusalem up here, you have Jericho. And down here you have Sodom. You have Gomorrah, and as you can see, both of them are in the middle of the current Salt Sea. And then here's uh, Zoar, and th they're saying this is the ancient coastline. So apparently, back then, um, you know, must have the ancient coastline must have missed Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. But something happened, um, and and this became filled in with dirt, and Zoar is right here. So we're not entirely sure which mountains he went into. Um, just the mountains near, uh, near Zoar, uh, and that's where uh, Lot and his two daughters went. Um, so that's just a little bit of an interesting, uh, you know, geographical location of where in the world Sodom and Gomorrah are. Uh, they're obviously not there now, uh, obviously gobbled up by fire and brimstone and salt. Uh, Zoar is still there, um, and that's where we know that Lot was. And the, direct, the distance from Sodom to Zoar looks to be about the same distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And if I remember, I don't know, that's not, that's not too far. It's maybe 10 miles or something like that. I mean, so it's not, he was able to get out of Sodom before, before the fire and brimstone hit.
So, but now we get to the story that we just read, which is Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, went into the mountains. And um, if you remember, the two daughters were pledged to be wed to um, two guys living in Sodom. Now those two guys are dead. Uh, now their mom is dead. Now they're just with their dad. They're up in the mountain living in a cave. And they don't like that. They're two young women who want to have children. Uh, and so this is what they say. Um, they say, let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. So what happens? Well, let's go back and look. Verse 33, that night they got up, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And the next day the older daughter said to the younger, last night I slept with my father, let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. Um, so they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites as of today. So this story... Um, has two things uh, to it. One is that the daughters slept with the father so they could have children, and the other is that who they became. They, they became the father, they became the two sons that were born here to Lot, became the Moabites and the Ammonites. Um, and so that's just a little bit of a history of where these people came from. So um, a couple things about these daughters sleeping with their father. First of all, uh, they obviously did not have their husbands. The husbands were killed. Uh, and without going and mingling with another community, there would be no opportunity for men. Obviously, Lot's like, we're done. We're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to uh, go back into any city. They're probably all corrupt. Um, and so these two girls decide to sleep with their father. Now, you have to remember, they're from Sodom. They were born in Sodom. So um, even though the Abraham tribe would never have allowed the daughters to sleep. They were very much, uh, you know, the, 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 it was a hard thing for, for Abraham to sleep with his slave Hagar. That happened very much later because they wanted this to happen with Sarah. Um, so there was obviously some sexual codes in Abraham's tribe, but, Lot and his, but Lot's daughters were not born with those codes. And they're like, we need children. There's dad. Let's go do it. Uh, and so they did. Um, no, uh, no hesitation whatsoever, no, uh, no shadow of this isn't a right thing to do. They just went ahead and did it because that was what they had grown up with. And um, it is, um, obviously today we would look at that and say that's terrible, that that should never, ever happen. I mean, for a bunch of reasons, we know medically that, you know, there's inbreeding, there can be all sorts of genetic chromosomal things that can happen when this happens. Um, but but um, they didn't have that, so they went ahead and slept with their father and they had these two children. Now, what it really points to, I mean, this is kind of one of the things I wanted to say, is that the, the ability to have children, we saw this with Sarah, with Hagar, the ability to have children was very much looked for uh, in the Old Testament. You wanted to have children. Um, why would you want to have children? Well, first of all, Children are your stability. Without children, uh, who's going to take care of you when you're older? Um, 
you know, back then there was no TV or internet. Who's gonna, you know, who's gonna be your companionship if you don't have children? I mean, children are very, very much important part of your life. There was really no other um, calling in life to have, you know, other than, you know, preparing food and, you know, shelter and all that sort of thing. The only thing that kind of kept you going uh, from day to day and year to year was the fact that you had children. Um, part of the reason I think why kids today, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, children today, they, they're waiting to have children. A lot of them aren't having children. And why is that? Because the need to have children just isn't there anymore. We have government programs to take, you, take care of you when you're older. Um, we have TV and internet and all sorts of socialization things to provide you uh, you know, the socialization and even meaning of life. People find meaning of life in their career and uh, the organizations that they belong to and all that. The, the whole idea that you need to have children uh, as a foundational uh, thing in your life just doesn't exist anymore. And that's a shame because uh, I'm young still, I suppose, by most people's, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 50s. Um, but I cannot think of a single thing that I have done in this life that has provided me with more satisfaction, more fulfillment, more joy, more life than having children. Um, yes, it was difficult. Yes, there were challenging times. Yes, they're their own human beings. They want to do their own thing. So you have to balance letting them do their own thing with you know disciplining them into the, into the people that you know that God wants them to be. I mean, all that is part of parenting and having children. And it can be very, very difficult, but it, oh my goodness, it is so rewarding. It, it, it hurts my heart a little bit to think of these people um, that don't want children because they find their, they think that the ultimate fulfillment is their career or their ultimate fulfillment is their job or their ultimate fulfillment is, you know, something like that. And these are all great things. I'm nothing wrong with them. But until you've had children, until you experience the joy of being a parent, it is hard to describe. Uh, I'll, my oldest grandchild, Dakota, was born about three years ago, um, coming up to three years. And um, I remember we got a phone call from my daughter about a month or two after Dakota was born. And she said, I just, I, I just can't believe how much joy she brings into my life. I had no idea how much joy this would be. Um, and it's something you almost have to experience for yourself to see it, to be able to have somebody that's completely dependent upon you that you're going to raise, you know, to, to be an adult. Um, that is, it is the greatest, it is the greatest of all the things I've done. And I've done a fair number of things in my life that I can be very proud of that brought me a lot of fulfillment. None of them, none of them compare to the fulfillment that I've had uh, with, with having children and raising children. And I think, I think humankind knew this 2,000 years before Christ. Uh, 1900 years before Christ, when Lot and his two daughters, the two daughters knew that there would be nothing in their life that could even compare to having children. So they definitely wanted children. Now, as far as sleeping with their father, that's certainly, um, you know, we would not condone that today uh, for medical reasons, for societal reasons, you know, for other reasons. Uh, uh, there are some Levitical things that says that if a brother dies, you know, the brother can can sleep with the wife so she can have children. I mean, there are things like that. Uh, and again, it all points to the fact that children are just such a huge blessing. And they're part of God's commandment, right? In the Garden of Eden, two things. 
be fruitful and multiply, you know, uh, you know, have children, and two is subdue the earth. Well, you can't fulfill the first commandment, so, you know, be fruitful and multiply if there's no male around to be fruitful and multiply with. So these two daughters who are unnamed, uh, you know, and, and Lot's wife is unnamed also, which I find interesting. A lot of other women are named, but not these three in the Bible. So they became pregnant from their father and they had the Moabites and the Ammonites. So the other thing is that they just, that's where these tribes come from. So um, I think we'll leave Lot for now uh, and we're going to go back to Abraham. Because if you remember, Lot left Abraham, lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. We had this side story from Lot uh, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we're going to go back to Abraham. So let's just move on finally to Genesis 20. All right. So let's just see what this has to say. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. All right, haven't we seen this story before? When Abraham went into Egypt, uh, he said, listen, they're going to kill me. Why don't you pretend that you're my sister? Uh, and that way we won't have um, any conflict when we're in uh, in Egypt because Pharaoh loves beautiful Pharaoh loves beautiful women you're a beautiful woman now now Abraham and Sarah are very old we know that they're you know uh, they're between 75 and 90 years old so they're very very old and um, apparently Sarah is still a very beautiful lady because Abraham still to this day is worried about what's going to happen so he says listen we get into the city uh, tell them that you're my sister now remember she's pregnant or no, she's not pregnant yet. She's going to be pregnant, um, but we haven't, we haven't seen the pregnancy yet. Uh, and so they go into um, this area, Kadesh by Shur, and stayed in a, in a town called Gerar. And there's a guy named Abimelech, and he's the king of Gerar. And he Sarah, sees Sarah. She's beautiful, and so he sends for her. Then what happens? Well, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night, and he said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And didn't she also say, he's my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clear hands. So both of these people are fooled. First it's Pharaoh, and now it's King Abimelech. And apparently um, Abraham this scoundrel, if you ask me, I mean, he's a total scoundrel. I no respect for the man as far as this goes. Um, trying to get out of being killed or having conflict by saying that this is a sister. Um, but we've seen this before. And in both times, I thought Pharaoh for sure would kill Abraham, right? But he doesn't. Instead, he gives him gifts, sends him on his way. So now we have Abimelech. Abimelech, what's Abimelech going to do? Let's find out. Dun, dun, dun. So verse six, then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet. That's Abraham. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials and when he told them all what had happened, they were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, 
What did, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you thought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? And you have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? I mean, isn't this what we always ask people? Why did you do this? Tell me, why did you do this? Um, so Abraham, you know, offers his wife as his sister, uh, gets caught. God tells Abimelech. So now we have this confrontation. What's going to happen between Abraham and Abimelech? Well, here we find the rest of the story. This kind of ties everything together. We talked about this a little bit before, but let's just look at it. So verse 11, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. So she's a half-sister, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. <laughs> well, let's just go one more verse here. So then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So, I don't know what to say. Um, Abraham is the most blessed man on the face of the earth. Abimelech should have killed him on the spot and taken Sarah. Um, this was lying of the first degree. Uh, I, I can't believe that Abimelech uh, would do this, except for God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, listen, uh, this is the situation. Laid it out, and Abimelech looked and said, well, listen, I see that you've, you know, you're in charge of this, uh, and so I'm going to bless Abraham. He gives him sheep, he gives him shekels of gold, you know, everything he could possibly want, he showers down upon Abraham. Abraham, the scoundrel who, uh, who lies to people, uh, he misrepresents the truth, um, he's a scoundrel. He's a dog. You know, he treats his wife horribly. Uh, and yet, no matter where he goes, he has his Midas touch. And kings, you know, shower him with, uh, with blessings. I just, if that is not the picture of God, I don't know what is. Because so many times in our life, we've been like Abraham, right? We have done things we're not proud of. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. We've done things that we deserve death. Uh, and yet God in his infinite mercy doesn't kill us or let us be killed, uh, but showers us with blessings. And that is, if that's not the picture of God's mercy, I don't know what is. Um, the, the idea that the Old Testament God is angry and bitter and the New Testament God is loving and gracious and merciful is not true. Here's the picture of a merciful God. He told Abraham that he and his wife Sarah will be the father of many nations. Abraham keeps trying to screw it up, but God follows through on his promises by coming into dreams 
uh, sending angels, you know, and, and, and leading Abraham to a path that he's going to lead him to because no matter how much Abraham screws up, God's going to come in and clean it up and make it right. And um, that is so true with our life too. I mean, no matter how many times we want to screw up our life, uh, God comes in and, you know, does things uh, to, to make our life so much better. Um, in our prayer life, the Holy Spirit lifts our prayers and, um, and makes them acceptable to God. You know, the good works that we do are filthy rags, but Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God, intercedes for us and takes all of our works and, and does them for his good, right? Romans 8, 38, uh, all, or 8, 28, all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I mean, God is looking out for us and we just don't see it because we live in so much in our own world and, and we don't understand God's will and that sort of thing. But the truth is, is that God is always looking out for us. Um, and he looked out for Abraham. So for that, we're very, very grateful. Um, it is, um, it is the nature of God to do that. Uh, and then Abraham prayed to God and, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. So here we see that part of the problem with uh, Sarah being in Abimelech's court is that none of the other women are able to conceive. Uh, Sarah obviously can't conceive. None of these other women can conceive. Um, although apparently Abimelech didn't lay with uh, Sarah. So um, it's just the, you know, the people in his household. But as soon as they leave, then they have children. Because as I've said, children are a blessing and a gift from God. So um, that kind of ends Genesis 20. I think we're a few minutes early actually. And um, uh, yeah, because I didn't go into a long coronavirus thing. So you guys get off a little bit early today. Um, why don't we go ahead and close in prayer? Uh, dear God, thank you for being a merciful God that understands us more than we understand ourselves. Thank you for taking all the stupid things we do and working them to your good. Uh, be with us for the rest of the day and watch over us until we meet again tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.